This is day 36 of our daily Bible reading. Today we will be completing chapters 23 through 27 of Deuteronomy. Lord Heavenly Father, you are so good and you are so perfect. Your law is good and your law is perfect. Everything that you have commanded us to do is perfect. Everything that you are and want us to be is perfect. Lord, that we may taste and see that you are good today. That we may understand more of why you do things the way you do. And it's for our good and for your glory. Please bless this time. Please quiet our minds and our hearts to receive your word with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. No one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. You shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all your days. You shall not detest an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not detest an Egyptian, because you were an alien in their land. The sons of the third generation who are born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. When you go out as an army against your enemies, you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. If there is among you any man who is unclean because of a nocturnal emission, then he must go outside the camp. He may not re-enter the camp. But it shall be when evening approaches, he shall bathe himself with water, and at sundown he may re-enter the camp. You shall also have a place outside the camp and go out there, and you shall have a spade among your tools, and it shall be, when you sit down outside, you shall dig with it, and shall turn to cover up your excrement. Since the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to defeat your enemies before you, therefore your camp must be holy and he must not see anything indecent among you, or he will turn away from you. You shall not hand over to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall live with you in your midst, in the place where he shall choose, in one of your towns where it pleases him. You shall not mistreat him. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a colt prostitute, nor shall any of the sons of Israel be a cult prostitute. 
You shall not bring the hire of a harlot or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God for any votive offering. For both of these things are an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen, interest on money, food, or anything that may be loaned at interest. You may charge interest to a foreigner, but to your countrymen you shall not charge interest, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land which you are about to enter to possess. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin in you. You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied, but you shall not put any in your basket. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house? Or if the latter husband dies, who took her to be his wife? Then her former husband, who sent her away, is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year, and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. No one shall take a handmill or an upper millstone in pledge, for he would be taking a life in pledge. If a man is caught kidnapping any of his countrymen of the sons of Israel, and he deals with him violently, or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Be careful against an infection of leprosy, that you diligently observe and do according to all that the Levitical priests teach you. As I have commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not enter his house to take his pledge, 
you shall remain outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. If he is a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge. When the sun goes down, you shall surely return the pledge to him, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it will be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land in your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he will not cry against you to the Lord and it become sin in you. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the bows again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. If there is a dispute between men, and they go to court, and the judges decide their case, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of stripes according to his guilt. He may beat him forty times, but no more so that he does not beat him with many more stripes than these, and your brother is not degraded in your eyes. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her, and take her to himself as wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. 
he is not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall declare, Thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. In Israel his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. If two men, a man and his countrymen, are struggling together, and the wife of one comes near to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is striking him, and puts out her hand and seizes his genitals, then you shall cut off her hand. You shall not show pity. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a full and just weight. You shall have a full and just measure, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. For everyone who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly, is an abomination to the Lord your God. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. Then it shall be, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it and live in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you bring in from your land that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. You shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. But there he became a great, mighty, and populous nation, and the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders.
and he has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God, and worship before the Lord your God. And you, and the Levite, and the alien who is among you, shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you and your household. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, and to the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. You shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house, and also have given it to the Levite and the alien, the orphan and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have given me. I have not transgressed or forgotten any of your commandments. I have not eaten of it while mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offered any of it to the dead. I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation, from heaven, and bless your people, Israel, and the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey, as you swore to our fathers. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have today declared the Lord to be your God, and that you would walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his ordinances, and listen to his voice. The Lord has today declared you to be his people a treasured possession, as he promised you, and that you should keep all his commandments, and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made, for praise, fame, and honor, and that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God, as he has spoken. Then Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones, and coat them with lime, and write on them all the words of this law. When you cross over, so that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So it shall be, when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones, as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool on them. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones, 
and you shall offer on it burnt offerings to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there, and rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall write on the stones all the words of this law very distinctly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel, saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Moses also charged the people on that day, saying, When you cross the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. For the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites shall then answer and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, and widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's skirt. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with any animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. All right, so for today's reading, a few things to look at. Chapter 23 mentions here in verse 3, No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord, none of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, 
In the Hebrew, this term is masculine. Okay, and this is important because we're going to see not too far from now, there's going to be someone who is a Moabite woman who is going to become the wife of an Israelite. And that person is, a, is also of historical significance, right? And that person would be Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman, and she married Boaz, right? And the descendant of Boaz, two or three generations later, was King David. And he entered the assembly of the Lord. He entered the house of the Lord. Were we to follow this law exactly as stated, then David would not be allowed by God's law. But again, this is a masculine form. So this is meant for a Moabite man. A Moabite man shall not enter the assembly of the Lord up to the 10th generation. But a Moabite woman is kind of like something we've talked about when you conquer a, a land or... Um, when they integrate with people. The woman becomes integrated into the culture they marry into. So in this case, a Moabite woman marrying an Israelite would, by extension, become an Israelite woman, if that makes any sense. So this is important because King David was a righteous man for the most part, and he did things like enter into the, temp into the temple of the Lord and lay down on his face before the Lord. So very important that because then he would not have been able to do so if he were a Moabite man. Why couldn't a Moabite man enter the assembly? Well, because of what they did in the desert. They did not meet them with food or water. And they also hired Balaam to curse you. But yet, the Lord did not allow Balaam to curse you. He turns those curses into blessings. Because the Lord your God loves you. And I also found it very interesting how he doesn't want the people of Israel to mistreat the Edomites or the Egyptians. Even the Egyptians. You would think they would be ones that would be allowed to be mistreated. But look what he says. He says, do not mistreat the Edomite because... They are your brother. Again, he sees Israel in a different way that we see Israel. He sees them as a nation and who they for who they really are, but he also sees their origins. He remembers Jacob, and he remembers Esau as brothers, twin brothers, and that relationship that was there. So God honors that hundreds of years later. And for the Egyptian, I think part of this is not only the language of vengeance is mine, I will repay, right? The Lord will say that. Let him exact vengeance. But he's already done that. He's already punished Egypt plenty for what they did. And vengeance should not be among the people of Israel for Egypt because they lived with them. They sojourned in their land. They were aliens there. So, certainly, we should not hold grudge against Egypt because of what they did at that time. Because they've already been punished plenty by God.
Here's another scientific fact that God enforces, not only for his holiness and for his standards, but why? If you, if you see it from modern perspective, why did he do this? Verse 12, you shall also have a place outside the camp and go out there using the restroom. If he didn't teach them to do this, wouldn't you think people would be relieving themselves anywhere? And what's wrong with that? Obviously, it is a very unsanitary thing. And so God understood that from the very beginning, that people will get sick from that. People will cause it to smell. You know, it's just unsanitary to be in those conditions. So if you're going to do it, go somewhere away from the camp. Not only for my holiness, but it's also for your good. Remember, he does everything for his glory and for our good. So for his glory, the, clan, the, the camp is clean. And for our good, he doesn't want us to get sick. He doesn't want them to get bacteria, infections, or to get ill from being around that stuff. So that's why he did it in such a way. I really wish verse 19 still applied today. You should not charge interest to your countrymen because <laughs> then a lot of these financial institutions would not exist because they charge interest. But, oh well. Okay, chapter 24, at the beginning here, it talks about the certificate of divorce. And this is something that Jesus will later talk about with the Pharisees, because they will bring this up. And he will explain to them that Moses put this in the law because he understood the weakness and sinfulness of mankind. It was never meant, and this is what Jesus is saying. He says that this was not meant to be this way. Because the union between a man and a wife is sacred. It is a bond that I think we really underestimate and a bond that we truly have little knowledge of. Because you think of the way that God instituted marriage. And it says that the two will become one flesh. They become unionized. They, be, they become one in perfect union with each other. And I think that is the closest way that we can understand the Trinity. That same kind of relationship where God is one, but he is also three persons that are in perfect communion with each other. And that's what he desires for us. So that, I think, is the most human way that we can be like God in that way by the institution of marriage. So there's something very special about that. And there's something very special about things like virginity that we really do not fully grasp. That's why it's such a big deal to God when someone is sexually promiscuous or defiled. I mean, that word defiled is to make, be made unclean, to be made unworthy, perhaps. I mean, that's a big deal. And that's why God takes it so seriously. So in, the, in this world today, is it's 
such a common thing to, you know, give yourself away to multiple people before you get married or even when you're married. I mean, that's, it's really sad. But something, there's something we don't fully understand in a spiritual level about that. But it definitely is worth something to, to research. I, I know there's people much smarter than me who have, have a better answer than I do. So I'm not going to claim like I know anything. But that's something that I'm personally going to be researching myself. Because there is something special about that. And I want to have a better understanding of it. Here's an important one. Verse 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. This is important. This is extremely important. Because this negates a lot of what is commonly practiced today and what was commonly practiced in other times as well. Think of, for example, the Catholic Church. When you grow up in that environment, the common understanding of it is because your family is Catholic, therefore you are Catholic. Well, you know, I'm supposed to do the things of what Catholics do. And so, well, if a family sins, then everyone is guilty. Or I can do something to forgive the sins of somebody else. You know, and that's what the Catholic Church teaches. They teach that you can petition and you can make restitution of sins by doing certain things on someone else's behalf. You know, because one of the worst things as a Catholic that you could do is die while having committed some mortal sin that has not been forgiven, because then you're going to hell. So good Catholic parents constantly are going and seeking to, you know, remove the sins of their, their children so that they don't die and go to hell. Or they have to spend a longer time in purgatory, which does not exist, by the way. And that's so wrong, because it says clearly here in their own Bible, this, most of the Bible that we have in front of us today, the 66 books of the Bible, are the same books that the Catholics have in theirs, plus additional ones that are not inspired by God which that's another topic for another day. But this verse is in their Bible. Everyone shall be put to death for their own sin. You are personally responsible for your own conduct and your own sin. There's not anyone or anything that anyone can do to give absolution to any sins of yours. God is the one who forgives, not man. And you are personally responsible for your own sin. So there's nobody, nobody can do anything to affect your forgiveness. But the best thing that we can do for people is to pray. To pray for them that they may be convicted. That they may be 
softened in heart, that the Lord may have mercy on them and grant them repentance or encourage repentance in their heart. We can affect them in that way. But when it comes to being held accountable for sin, God holds you accountable for yourself and for yourself only. Now, it does say elsewhere that if you're a leader, then you are held responsible for the people that are under you to some degree, especially in what you are teaching them. If you're teaching them the truth or if you're teaching them falsehood, you will be held to a higher standard. But you're still held responsible for your own sin. Not for their sins, but for how you teach, for example. Chapter 25, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way. Why is this important? Because we're going to see later in the conquest of Israel and from starting in the monarchies, the kings, that we will come across Amalekites again. Amalekites will enter the scene again. And you will see there are some people who will not obey this, and you'll see some people who will obey this. So even King David obeyed this, and you'll see when we get to him. But this is something that should not be forgotten. God is very clear about that. He says, you must not forget. You shall blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. You meet an Amalekite, they should be utterly destroyed. Chapter 26, I thought, was very beautiful with the way that we're supposed to be appreciative and grateful and just happy-hearted towards the Lord. Giving of what we have and said, hey, you know what? This is where we came from. This is where my ancestors came from. It was me getting this far was not my doing. The Lord brought us here and he did all these things for us. And now I have all this goodness. I have this prosperity. And I would gladly give this to you, Lord, because of what you've done. I will set it before you and I will share it with the people who are with me. We'll rejoice in the presence of the Lord. How wonderful is that? That is fellowship. And that is the same kind of fellowship we should be having with each other as believers, not only just in church, but the relationships we have at church should extend beyond church. Right? We don't we should know our brothers and sisters in Christ much more closely than we do just by being the same row as them, you know? How many people can we say we do that with in church? Personally, I have a handful of people who I interact with outside of church and I could do a lot better in this. Um, I can have all sorts of reasons why I don't do that, you know, for being sake of being busy or whatever. But we are supposed to fellowship with each other, not just on Sundays, but we should be setting time to fellowship with our brethren, to grow each other in knowledge and in faith, to lift each other up and sharp iron, sharpen iron, right? But also, how can you pray for someone 
if you don't really know them. You know what I mean? You certainly can pray for somebody you don't know, but doesn't the prayer mean more to you when you pray for somebody that you know? Don't you pray a little bit harder or take a little bit more effort into your prayers for a family member than you would, say, a stranger who says, pray for me? You probably would, and that's a natural inclination. So get to know your fellow brothers and sisters, because we're all in this together. And we need to be able to support each other in the hard times and prepare for those hard times by teaching each other and encouraging each other, building each other up. Then we go to chapter 27. And in chapter 27, we have a ceremony of writing down the words of the law on some stones. And then some of the tribes are going to be standing over here, and some of the tribes are going to be standing over here at different mountains. And then one's pronouncing blessings, one are pronouncing curses. But it mentions that you're supposed to write down these the law on some large stones and then coat them with lime. So the way that they would do this is that they would actually roast with fire. They would roast gypsum stone. And with this gypsum stone, it would cause the stones that they were going to use to be whitewashed. And with that whitewashing, it made the surface of the stone much more uniform and to where writing on it could be clearly visible. So this was a method they used in order to um, kind of almost like bleach stones and also to preserve the whatever is written on it. So um, it's an interesting thing. You only see this, I think this is the only time I have ever seen this being done in such a way in the Bible. But it makes you wonder if those stones are still around and we just haven't found them yet. I wonder. So the curses and the things they have to say amen to are um, things that we have already discussed. But the one thing I want to note, just on verse 15, Cursed is the man who makes an idol, an abomination of the Lord, the work of the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. So again, secret sins. God hates secret sins. I mean, he hates all sin, right? The ones that are overt or the ones that are covert. But we need to be the most careful about secret sins. For one, most of the time, that's where the birth of worse sins come from. So if you stop it from the source, from the internal problems, it will never spill to the external, right? If you have hate in your heart, for example, and you like the idea of killing someone, and you stop that thought from the beginning, then you'll never take action and you'll never take, kill someone, right? Or if you just have the desire to steal something and then you're, you are challenged by God's standards and you repent and you do not commit to stealing, then you're not going to steal. That is why we've talked about in the previous days how important it is for the parents to raise their children properly. Because if we can't get it right from childhood or adolescence, and we don't instill these values into our kids, 
then they're going to grow up to be miserable, sinful adults. That idea of lawlessness that comes from them. We cannot forget that. So again, parents, there's a reason why God has honor your father and mother in the Ten Commandments. And what comes after that are all the things that we're supposed to teach our kids not to do. Not to lie, not to steal, not to murder, not to covet, right? We have to keep those things in mind because our motivation is that we should have them be successful human beings that we love and that we want them to do well in the land. And God promises that if we teach our kids the way they go and they obey the law, then they will live long in the land. That's not a guarantee that every human being who is a good kid will live a long life, okay? Because there's some people that get that idea, well, that's all an all-encompassing thing. So if I obey my father and mother, then I will live to be 120 years old. There's no guarantees on that. But it says that you will live long and do well. I mean, you'll be successful. You will be prosperous while you're alive. It's not a guarantee of long life. But the, your chances are really good for it. And this is the first time in the Bible that we see the term amen. Or in some people pronounce it amen. It's the same thing. But what does that mean, actually? The literal word for amen is something that is firm or assured. So that's why typically when we use the term amen, why do we end our prayers with amen? It's important we know this because if we're just saying it because we just do it, then it doesn't mean anything to us. But we have to, and that's something, unfortunately, especially in the English culture, that there is so much meaning, so much depth behind words. Words are extremely important, not only to be understood, but how they are used. We should be knowing the depth of words because they have significance. Now, just because we have to say it or because that's just what we always have done, but why do we do these things? And that's important to note. So, amen, when you end your prayer with amen, you are, by extension, you're telling God, let what I said be done. Let this be assured. Lord, may it be done in this way. It is a plea. It is a an act of confidence that when we say amen, we are trusting God with that prayer. And not only that, but we have confidence that God is able to do it. If we pray and we don't think God could do it, why even say amen? Because you don't mean it, right? So words have meaning, and we have to understand that, and we need to use words properly. And not just flippantly. Because if we just think words are just words, then why does God place so much emphasis on words? Especially on his, the use of his name. That is 
because there is something deeper that we don't have a full understanding of. Words are important. Language is extremely important. It is God's gift to us, and we need to use it properly. Well, we are almost done with Deuteronomy. We only have about a day and a half left. And then we will be done with the original Pentateuch, the original five books of the Bible, what the Bible will call for the rest of the time, the law. These first five books of the Bible are considered the entire law of Moses. Now, in the New Testament, you also hear about the law and the prophets. So, we are concluding the law, and now we're going into the prophets section. So, we're almost there. And then we'll see Moses leave the scene, and he will be replaced by Joshua. And we will see this promised land finally come into possession of Israel. And that's coming very fast. So thank you for going on this journey with us so far. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, and God bless.